This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. In today's episode, I want to talk about my experience as a professional jazz musician, looking back on my career and in my career, the lessons that I've learned about playing music, uh, playing jazz with other people, so on and so forth. And particularly, I'm going to hone in on some lessons that I've learned that I know are going to help you as a non-professional hobbyist jazz musician. So let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards. We help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome, welcome, my friends. Uh, excited to share a little bit about my career as a professional jazz musician. And I'm going to be talking mostly about my performing career because obviously my career is um, especially nowadays I actually don't even perform very often anymore uh, it's very much so based on jazz education and what I do here at learn jazz standards but uh, when I was a more full-time performing musician you know I'd be gigging I would say anywhere from three to five times uh, a week five times being um, a, a pretty good week, but you know, over the course of my career, I have played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gigs. So I've learned a lot of things, both in the process of yes, playing those gigs, but also preparing for those gigs, um, practicing to become the level of musician I needed to be to be a professional jazz musician, and a whole slew of things. I know you're going to find these really helpful for you as just someone who's looking to become a better jazz musician, not professional jazz musician like me per se, but just someone who wants to improve, um, someone who like me who's been through a lot and has put a lot of my life into playing jazz. Um, I have a few extra things that are probably going to help you out. Um, before we do that, of course, got to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor is, as always, our very own LJS Inner Circle membership. Uh, this is the membership where you learn one new jazz standard a month. We study a new jazz standard. We study an etude, a solo. We study uh, mapping exercises. Uh, we learn the jazz standard, but we also have courses like our Rhythm Changes Accelerator course or Jazz Blues Accelerator course. We have Basics 101 courses to fill in the gaps in your musical knowledge. We just came out with a basic jazz piano skills 101 course this month. Helps non-piano players and piano players alike learn how to play uh, the basics of jazz piano, like you know, just comping if you're a horn player. It can be a really helpful tool. Um, it, we also do live Q&A sessions. We have an amazing community of tons of different jazz musicians, musicians from all the world playing all sorts of different instruments. It's a lot of fun. So if you've been hearing me talk about it, listening to the podcast for quite a while but still haven't come and joined us on the other side go to ljsinnercircle.com ljsinnercircle.com we have a ton a ton a ton of fun in there all right let's jump right in to these lessons that i've learned as a professional jazz musician 
Okay, lesson number one is the best solos come when you just don't care at all. Okay, so lesson number one, when you just don't even care, the best solos come out. Now, I have just dealt with this, I'm sure as you probably have too, just so much over the course of my career where I may come in to a gig with a number of things on my mind. Like, man, I'm playing with some other great musicians and I really want to sound great because I want to impress them. And maybe they're musicians on a gig that I had never played with before. Or yeah, they are just high, higher caliber musicians, or at least I perceive than me, right? So you want to sound good. So that could be one thing. Um, another thing is just, you know, sometimes you're just having a bad day and you're just like not, you're feeling like you're not going to play well, right? So automatically you kind of come in with this psychological cloud over your head. Um, sometimes you might not be very good at actually playing over a jazz standard, like or one that you think that you're not good at playing, or maybe it's someone's original composition. And so you bring into it that kind of baggage, or maybe you've been really working on something in the practice room and obsessing about that and wanting that to come out in your playing. So in other words, you're trying to force that to actually happen. And in my experience, um, whenever I've done this, and I've done it many, many times, um, both while practicing and playing gigs professionally, this does not usually work out towards the best result. What works out is when you're able to get to a headspace where you don't really care, you're just having fun and playing and uh, expressing yourself. And when I say you don't really care, it doesn't mean that you don't care about playing well or that you want to do a good job. It's just that you're putting your ego to the side. You're putting down, uh, putting away your worries about what other people might think about you. And you're really just focusing on letting music happen. It's a very difficult headspace to get into, but any time I've gotten into that headspace while performing at a gig, it is the funnest time you'll ever have playing music. I've had so many enjoyable experiences when I was able to tap into that headspace. And there's been many other experiences where I wasn't able to do that. And as a professional, playing the gig felt like a job, right? Or by the time I was done, I felt exhausted playing because it was just a mental game the entire time, right? So that's that's the biggest thing I've learned. Now, getting into that headspace is probably a, a, a podcast in and of itself. And I've certainly talked a lot uh, uh, in other episodes about this general concept. But yeah, this can be a real hard one. But that's what I've learned playing so many gigs is when I don't really care so much, I usually play the best solos. Okay, that's lesson number one. Um, so lesson number two is... You're never truly going to be happy with your jazz playing or a better way and more precise way to put it is you're never going to feel like you're completely satisfied, right? And this was something early on for me before I, I suppose I became a, a professional as in I was doing it full-time for my living um, that I was trying so hard to be so good, right? And so I kept looking at the uh, musician I looked up to or, uh, of course, the jazz musicians, uh, my favorite jazz musicians, the recordings I was listening to, and just dreaming and imagining what it would feel like to play like that, right? And what I discovered is every single time I got to that next benchmark in my playing, 
it's A, I usually didn't recognize that I had gotten there, right? Because it's usually a slow process when you're learning how to improvise and play better as a musician. So sometimes I didn't always recognize I had gotten there. Um, but usually I was always just looking at the next level up. And I did this for a really long time. And of course, I still fall prey to this today as well. But it's really not the best way to go about it, just to always be in this state of like, you know, feeling like you have to be so much better than you are today, right? Not really appreciating or enjoying where you're at. So you're never going to be happy or completely satisfied with your playing. But what I've found is the best way to deal with that is to come to a place of acceptance for how you play right now and learn how to appreciate how you play right now. Even try to actively find things that you do like about your playing right now, right? A lot of us spend most of our time thinking about the things that we don't like about our playing, and therefore that dominates our thoughts about our playing, which usually, again, brings me back to lesson number one, makes you care a whole lot too much when you're actually trying to play music. So if you kind of work on becoming more accepting of how you're actually playing, while you won't be satisfied, and in a way that's a good thing, you should always be trying to get a little bit better in music or in life, you'll at least feel comfortable enough with where you're at right now and appreciate that. And I wish I didn't waste so much of my career or and continue, obviously it still happens, to waste parts of my career in that headspace, right? So that's lesson number two is you're never going to be quite happy with your jazz playing. So learn how to accept where you're, you're at right now to the best of your ability. Okay, lesson number three uh, is the best people to play with, the best musicians to play with are the ones that have these particular characteristics, okay? Um, and before I go and explain those characteristics, the reason it's important for me to note this is because in my career, my professional career, I've played with lots of musicians that were not fun to play with, that really were not enjoyable. In fact, I've played with some incredibly good musicians, like way better than me and even better than you know, I would say they're, they're that, that level up from even the regular crew uh, of people that I would play with, you know, but they weren't fun to play with at all, right? So that's some context for you. So the best people to play with are number one, the people that don't have big egos. Okay. So the ones that kind of come into the situation that you can, you can feel that they have this pride about themselves and their playing, but one that's rooted actually more deeply in security, kind of like a narcissist would, right? Where it's a good thing to be proud of yourself, right? But when it's rooted actually underneath all that with insecurity, where you hold yourself higher than the other people you're around, then you're automatically bringing bad energy into the room and those people are just not fun to play with, in my opinion. So the best people are the ones that don't have that, that leave their ego at the door. They just in general are happy to play with you, happy to accept um, you as you are and so on and so forth. Um, the second characteristic trait would be they serve the music first and foremost before worrying about themselves individually sounding good. And this is super important because 
um, again, a lot of times the egotistical musician may actually have this negative character trait as well, where they are just really concerned about sounding amazing and they forget about the rest of the band and making them sound good. And I'll give you a quick example. And this is actually not, um, at a gig that I was playing. This is actually when I was in music school. I went to school for jazz. I got a bachelor degree in jazz performance. Um, and I was in a jazz combo with this drummer um, who was very good, like very good drummer, um, moved to New York and he was, you know, getting his degree, but he was very much so getting into the New York jazz scene um, quite deeply, but playing with like the upper tier, right? So he was very good. And so it was great to be in a combo with him because he's very talented. However, um, we had rehearsed an arrangement of a particular jazz standard um, for our combo, and we were going to be giving um, we were going to be giving a performance in front of the jazz pianist Fred Hirsch. If you know who Fred Hirsch is, so kind of intimidating, right, to play in front of Fred Hirsch, um, one of the best jazz pianists in in the world, right? And so we had really rehearsed this jazz standard, the arrangement of this jazz standard, in such a way that everybody felt comfortable with it and knew what was going to happen. Well, as soon as we get up to play, instead of counting off the song like we had rehearsed and going into the arrangement the way we had rehearsed it, all of a sudden, without warning, this drummer starts playing uh, a solo, right? He took his mallets out and he started playing a solo and, you know, everybody was a little confused about you know, what the time feel was because it was very loose. Um, Wasn't sure what was going on in the first place because that's not what we had practiced. And sure, jazz is the spirit of improvisation. But, you know, as a drummer, he's playing these rhythmically complex things. And as a result, what happened is when it came time for the rest of the band to come in, I believe it was a saxophone player, me on the guitar, a bass player. We didn't come in at the right time. And so the whole entire beginning of that tune was derailed and it kind of shook the rest of the performance to the point where I didn't feel like I was playing as good as I wanted to because I was playing in front of Fred Hirsch and we screwed up the beginning of the tune. And it was all because this person wasn't serving the music first. He was serving himself first. He wanted to sound good in front of Fred Hirsch. So he figured he would come and play a really amazing musical drum solo at the beginning. And it was great, but it didn't serve the music. Okay, so um, the best people to play with are the ones that do serve the music. Um, The other characteristic of the best people to play with, and I guess they're all kind of related, but are the people that are just actually socially a good time to hang out with. Um, So, you know, in between the sets, like, are they actually fun to talk with, fun to have a beer with, um, you know, or are they just kind of like, again, egotistical, stone cold, not that friendly, um, and and again, maybe not even that social. I mean, it, it's okay not to be an extrovert. I'm not one, but not have good social skills. Like those people generally aren't fun when you're working a job to work with, right? So that's to me an important part is, is with jazz and music. It's communication, and so that communication also comes 
off of the bandstand as well. Like when you're just trying to talk with each other and hang out and have a good time. And it makes you look forward to the gig again the next time you play with that person. Um, so some of the funnest gigs I've ever played are just with my friends. Like the my friends when we got and my friends, of course, are professional jazz musicians, but the ones that I would play with regularly and we just joke around and have a good time. Like those to me are the best people to play with. So I guess just to summarize, summarize that one really quick, the best people to play with are people that don't have an ego, people that serve the music, and people that are just in general a good person, a good person to hang out with, right? Um, that's what I've just discovered over playing hundreds and hundreds of gigs. Okay, so lesson number four is that equipment does matter. <laughs> equipment does matter. And this might go against, I guess, the, the conventional... Um, you know, wisdom that, you know, it's not how good of an instrument you have, it's the way you play the instrument and so on and so forth, which of course has a ton of truth in it, right? Like you could have the the best saxophone or drum set or piano um, or amplifier or guitar, but if you don't actually play it very well and you don't try to practice to play it very well, then it really doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter at all. On the other hand though, um, I've personally found that equipment really does matter. So I, I'll give you a number of different examples to give you the scope of it. So one, um, I used to have this huge amplifier that I was carrying around New York city and I didn't have a car and, um, it was like a 15 inch speaker and carrying this thing up and down the subway tracks. Like to this day, I have kind of shoulder, not shoulder issues, but like I have this strange reflex that I do. I lift my shoulders just randomly and people point it out to me while I'm walking. And that's because like of just holding amplifiers and holding heavy guitar cases on top of my back for so many years, walking up and down the subway tracks, uh, subway stairs and going through trains and commuting everywhere. So on that level, it's like not having the right gear that was more conducive to make it easier would have been helpful, right? I did that for a long time before deciding like, hey, I should just invest the money in an expensive yet very good small amplifier, right? So that's just one example. Um, and I guess to go further on the amplifier side of things too, you know, to me, nothing kind of derails the gig or at least doesn't aid in that process of, you know, not caring when you're playing than hearing sounds that you don't like, right? So sometimes I'd be playing out of an amplifier that wasn't mine or one that was mine that wasn't very good, and I wasn't hearing sounds come back at me the way I wanted to, right? Or I wasn't comfortable with the equipment in the room, so therefore I didn't feel comfortable with my solos, right, or my, my playing, um, probably you've experienced this before if you've ever gone to a public jam session and uh, I'm, again, guitarists can really relate to this where it's like you have to play out of someone's amp that you're not used to. And, you know, that that's an extra obstacle that if you don't have to go through that when you're playing is a good thing, right? And this goes for, you know, saxophone players, I'm sure, like having good reads, making sure you're showing up with a good read, not a brand new read that you don't know uh, works very well because we all know that reads, like you buy a pack and you maybe get one or two good ones out of it. So gear does really matter, right? And having a good instrument that produces a good sound matters. 
um, it will elevate you and your playing if you use it correctly, right? Like if you use the gear correctly, it will elevate you and make you sound better. So yes, while the conventional wisdom is true that great gear isn't going to make you a great player, not having good gear is just going to be a stumbling block for you if you don't have it. So I did way too long with pieces of bad gear and, uh, you know, moving on. And I guess one more thing I'll add to that too is, you know, gear matters in the sense that if it's broken, you really need to fix it. (laughs) So I, I also would just sometimes, you know, realize that the jack on my guitar was coming loose. And then when I would get to a gig, all of a sudden the jack was inside of my guitar and we had to try to fish it out or worse things happened. And that just derails everything too. So keeping your gear maintained well and all that stuff really matters. So learned the hard way many times. Um, glad I don't don't do that anymore. I, I, I get good gear. I up- maintain my gear. So that's another lesson that I've learned. Um, number five is one that might be a little bit surprising. But that would be that practicing a lot helps, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so practicing a lot helps, but it isn't necessary. So practicing a lot is certainly a good idea, right? And that's where a lot of people get stuck is they're like, oh, crap, I have to practice for ungodly amounts of hours to get this jazz thing down, right? There's this preconceived notion that um, to be good at playing jazz, which is kind of, you know, has these elements of virtuosity, then we have to practice for forever. And because I don't have time to do that, I'm not going to be able to improve. Well, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I constantly preach against that, which is part of my answer today here. But also at the same time, practicing a lot does help. Um, you know, I spent one year where I just, I I was between high school and college. I had nothing else to do other than play my weekly gig and teach lessons to save up money. I was practicing five to eight hours a day, right? That's a lot of time to practice. And basically practicing a lot just gives you more opportunities to learn, right? It's like you, what's the the, the Wayne Gretzky quote that Michael Scott famously um, steals in uh, the office. Um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So the idea behind that being that like the more times I'm in the practice room improvising and learning solos and concepts and jazz standards, well, the more lessons I'm going to learn. Um, and for someone like me, who I would consider is like a bit of a slower learner, depending on what it is that we're trying to learn, you know, having more opportunity, uh, more time to work on it is is a good thing for me, right? That that's that's a helpful thing. So, you know, that helps, and then it also helps your technique. So, even if you're not actually effectively practicing, meaning using your practice time wisely, maybe you're noodling a lot and regurgitating things you just always are already good at. I would call that you know, fun, but ineffective practicing, right? So even if you're just doing that, but you're doing that for like two to three hours, right? That's still building your technique. Like you're building comfort on your instrument by practicing a lot, right? So practicing a lot helps, but the other side of what I learned is that it's not necessary. And I've really learned that a lot 
in kind of the latter bit of my career. Um, and that started when I still was very actively performing, where I started practicing less and less and less and less. And the transition before, again, was like practicing a lot and worrying if I missed a practice session and thinking to myself that I would lose my skills if I didn't practice. And when it sort of came to a head there where my life started changing a bit, priorities started changing a little bit, suddenly I wasn't able to practice like I was before. I discovered that even though it was difficult for me to get rid of those limiting beliefs that I needed to practice a lot, I wasn't losing my skills. And if anything, if there was a stretch where I didn't practice for a while, for whatever reason, I might feel like, again, my technical ability was a little bit rusty, but it was never that hard to get it back. Like I would say at this very moment, I would say my technical ability is a little rustier than I would like it. I would like to get that back. Um, but it's not going to take me long to do. Why? Because I've done it over and over and over again, right? I just had a daughter. So um, practicing is is not is not on my top list of things that I'm spending my time doing, right? So I learned that it, that it doesn't matter, right? And then the other thing is you don't need to practice that much if you're actually practicing effectively. So like I said, you're practicing in such a way that is building on each other goal after goal after goal. Um, you're definitely spending a healthy amount of your practice time working on things that you struggle with rather than spending most of your time working on things that you're already good at. So I've found, and certainly our inner circle members are a huge testament to this, that you can make a lot of progress in your jazz playing and your musicianship practicing less or just practicing with the same amount of time that you already have available to you now, right? So I, I definitely had to learn that the hard way, but what, do I regret practicing a lot at one point? No. And again, if you're a hobbyist musician and that's your intention, which is 99.5% of everyone listening to this show, um, then you don't need to practice that much, right? As someone who's trying to make a career as in pay their bills off of music, it's already hard to do that, right? It's hard to pay your bills playing music. So yeah, you do need to practice a lot if you want to be a professional jazz musician. So do I regret doing that? No, of course I don't. It's just that it came with a realization later that it's not actually necessary to make meaningful progress or... Also, the realization that if you're just unable to practice or play your instrument for a while, it's not like you go backwards. It's not like you lose it all, right? You just you just need to get, grab your technique back, basically. That's, that's mainly what I've learned. Um, okay, the next, the sixth lesson, um, just a couple more lessons here to go. The sixth lesson is um, the hardest gigs for me. Um, now this will, this is probably, this is a lesson that's more personal and not necessarily like going to apply to everybody. But the lesson that I learned is that the hardest gigs for me to play are duo gigs with a singer. So guitar and vocals, those are the hardest gigs to play for me. And the ones that have always caused me the most stress. Now that's because there are certain skills that I need to develop more and just haven't taken the time to do it. So while I can execute a duo singer gig and have played plenty of duo singer gigs in my career, there are always gigs where I get a little stressed out about them before, I'm feeling uncomfortable during them, 
And then afterwards, I feel completely exhausted. Like it truly does feel like I went to work after the, a duo gig with a singer. And so the reason for that, again, like there's deficiencies in my playing, obviously, but the reason for me personally as a guitar player is there's just a lot of responsibility. Like I have to have a great setup for the singer, a great intro, and it's kind of difficult to come up with, you know, intros that aren't all just the same, right? So that's one. You so you really have to worry about being the sole timekeeper, right? The only timekeeper. That's kind of difficult. Then when it comes to the singer usually sings, and most of the singers I've played with don't actually even solo, right? They just sing. Um, maybe sometimes there'll be a, a solo in there, but most of the time it's just like, all right, now guitar player play. And so then I'm dealing with the situation where I'm playing solo guitar, but there's not as much freedom in it as I normally would have playing solo guitar. So when you're playing solo guitar, you don't have to worry quite as much about playing perfectly in time. Like some solo guitar players really do that. They like play as if they're in a band. They, they treat their guitar like it's like a band, right? Um, my favorite solo guitar guitarists and the ones that I look up to, yeah, they play with some sense of time, but there's a lot of freedom in there, right? And that's generally how I would play a solo guitar gig. But when you're playing with a singer, you really do have to improvise great ideas, comp at the same time, and, you know, do all this stuff that it just, it's just demanding, right? So for me, those are the hardest gigs. Um, now the lesson again there that I learned from that is like, Hey, if I want to get good at doing that, it means that I probably should spend a lot of time practicing just, um, pretending like I'm soloing and accompanying a singer, right? Uh, it's the accompanying part. Isn't that hard? Cause I actually am a pretty good comper. Uh, sometimes I almost feel like I'm a better comper than I am a, a improviser. Um, but it's like the improvising and comping at the same time, um, but perfectly in time. That's where it can be a challenge for me. Um, again, played many gigs like that, but it just it's not where I shine. Let's just put it that way. Okay, so that's lesson number six as my hardest uh, gig. Um, lesson number seven, my last lesson that I want to share with you is being professional matters. Okay, being professional matters a lot. And I'm definitely speaking in terms of, you know, how to get more work as a professional jazz musician, how to be thought of well as a professional jazz musician, how to be enjoyed by the other musicians. Like, so that applies very much so to being professional, but this also does, I think, apply to, you know, anyone who just wants to play music with other people. So professional matters, like dress the correct way, right? So if it's if it's a formal gig, dress in formal attire. If it's a casual gig, um, you know, still don't dress in a ratty t-shirt and jeans. And like I play with musicians that have done that, right? Present yourself as a professional, right? Not that you have to wear a tux every single time, but pre present yourself in in a way that looks good. Like my go-to gig attire is um button-up shirt with a very casual blazer over top, um, sometimes just jeans and nice shoes or not jeans, but um, khakis, right? Just other kinds of, of, of clothes that the, the kind of the hip jazz musician look, right? But it's still stylish. It still looks good. So the way you look to me as a professional does matter. And, you know, 
when I hire people to play with me and they don't respect that, that they don't play that part, it doesn't make me want to ever hire them ever again because it looks badly on me, especially if I'm trying to continue to get work at whatever place I'm trying to get work at, right? Being on time matters. The mo- This is probably the most important one to me. Being on time matters. For me, I always show up to gigs 30 minutes beforehand. And I always aim to do that, A, so that in case there is something that comes up, um, being in New York City, right, train delays, things like that, then I can take care of that, right? Like then at least I have some leeway time to play with. But also like it just whoever the band leader is always appreciates that. They don't have to worry. Like there, I, there's certain musicians that I play with where it, sometimes I'm afraid to actually recommend, like they're great players and I like them, but someone will be like, oh, who, who do you recommend as a bass player or whatever? And I'll be like, well, there's this guy, he's not available. And then there's this guy who's really great. But I feel hesitant because I know that they literally show up literally on time for the gig. They get there and they pull out their their guitar, bass, saxophone, whatever, and they just start playing. That's not professional. That adds stress to the gig. So showing up 30 minutes early to me, that that's that is what I always do. And that's what I think um, others do too. And I think um, people have always respected me for that. Band leaders especially have always been like, hey, thank you for showing up early, right? And also it feels good for me too because I get time to hear what the venue sounds like, you know, sound bounces differently in different places. Um, I get to warm up my fingers a little bit. I get to maybe um, get some water at the bar, you know, talk with the other music, like get comfortable, right? So it's, it's an important thing to be professional in that way. Um, and again, professional as in like be cool. Don't be egotistical in front of other musicians. Um, socialize well, like talk. Don't go hide out somewhere on your break, like being professional towards the other musicians is super important. And again, I mentioned before, the funnest people to play with are the people that serve the music. And to me, that's the pinnacle of professionalism when you're actually playing the music itself is serving that music, making everybody else sound as good as possible, listening for what the music needs, right? Not what you want necessarily to make yourself sound better, but what the music actually needs. Um, and then also just showing that you're having fun while you're playing. Uh, I know some players that they, um, and it could just be their personality or or sometimes they're literally just like acting bored. Like they're just bored to be there. Like they don't, they, they wish they were doing something else, whatever. Act like you're having fun, right? Like do and just have fun, right? So that, that, that does come up. And so that's all professionalism to me. So um, lesson number seven is to be professional matters. So hope that you found some of these, um, lessons that I learned from being a professional jazz musician, especially when I used to perform, um, more full-time helpful for you and that you can take some of these into your hobbyist playing and lifestyle as well. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Do appreciate it. Uh, like I said, ljsinnercircle.com. That's where you can join the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle membership. Uh, we have such a great time over there. Uh, just actually taking action, right? Like we're not just learning new stuff. We're taking action. And that's why the members in there are getting awesome results. 
All right, we're going to be coming up with another episode of the podcast this upcoming Friday. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss out on any of them. Cheers, and we'll see you back then. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.